MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello. Welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, August 19th, 2020. Today, Volume 5 of the Senate Intelligence Committee Russia Investigation Counterintelligence Report is out. Roger Stone has dropped his appeal. The Postmaster General suspends changes until after the election, but I don't believe him. You shouldn't either. But he has agreed to testify before the Senate this Friday. A private security company is detaining migrant children and keeping them in hotels. Mike Bloomberg pledges $60 million to help House Democrats. U.S. states seek $2.2 trillion, about Oxycontin maker Purdue Pharma. And Esper says a $22 billion cut to military health care is in order. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. Oh, besides the heat and the humidity, how are you? I'm doing very well, considering most things, in the absence of those things. Good. Yes. Good. Good. Me too. Today was a big day for us. Volume 5 came out, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's the counterintelligence report. Or if you, you know, we'll cover the highlights, but if you want to know what the report says, go listen to the entire entire Muller She Wrote podcast from beginning to end, and you'll... (laughs) Get it all. Should only take you about two and a half years. How long was that going for? <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. It's a thousand pages. Um, but I'm still pouring through it, but I haven't really seen anything that we didn't cover. Um, Marco Rubio, of course, is trying to spin it. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we have some reactions to the Democratic National Convention from last night. And of course... Uh, all the headlines from Under the Radar and our listeners submitted good news stories. And this week, uh, we have our happy hour meet and greet, but it's been moved from Friday at 4 Pacific to Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, that's 11 a.m. Pacific time for patrons. And then we open it up to the public at noon. And the theme is brunch. And we will see you there. I'm excited about it. Um and then we are going to go on vacation for a week, but you will still get content and news and maybe news, but mostly content. And there'll be shows for you to listen to. We, we're working on putting those together. But Yay, fun stuff. Yeah, lots going on. But mm-hmm. we do have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So lead story. Big, 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 big story volume five the counterintelligence version or you know portion of the senate intel committee report on their investigation into trump russia and i'm going to go some of the highlights here first of all let's talk about paul manafort uh the report found that paul manafort began working on influence operations for oleg deripaska and other pro-russian ukrainian oligarchs in 2004 Check. Mm-hmm. Um, Manafort hired and worked closely with Russian national Konstantin Kalimnik, uh, whom the committee definitively calls a Russian intelligence officer that served as a liaison between him and Oleg Deripaska. Mm-hmm. And in the Mueller report, they, they say they hint at it, but they never say, call him directly a Russian intelligence officer. They do here. On numerous occasions, Manafort sought to pass sensitive internal polling data and campaign strategy to Kalimnik. 
The committee was unable to determine why or what Kalimnik did with that information, in part due to the pair's use of encrypted messaging apps. However, we know and we reported that uh, it was downloaded, um, you know, uh, from person to person on Oleg Deripaska's yacht and Nasya Rybka got a video of it. And Navalny, the opposition to uh, to Putin at the time, had released that video mm-hmm. uh, and he went to jail. Yep, he paid for it. Um yeah, he sure did. Um, the committee did, however, obtain some information suggesting Kalimnik may have been connected to Russia's hacking and leaking of Democratic emails. And that's that whole section there detailing those findings is a, like really redacted and very interesting. And I, I want to know why. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line here, according to Axios, quote, taken as a whole, Manafort's high-level access and willingness to share information with individuals closely affiliated with Russian intelligence services, particularly Kalimnik and associates of Deripaska, represented a grave counterintelligence threat, the committee wrote. So one conclusion from this report is that Trump's campaign chair was a grave counterintelligence threat. Cool. Check. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, Roger Stone. Uh, The committee found that Trump and senior campaign officials attempted to obtain advanced information about WikiLeaks' release of damaging emails from Roger Stone, who they believed had inside information. It also assessed that Trump spoke with Stone about WikiLeaks on multiple occasions, despite the fact that the president said he did not recall doing so in written answers to special counsel Robert Mueller. We've talked about that a zillion times. Mm -hmm. That's obstruction of justice. In July 2016, Stone drafted tweets for Trump at his request that attacked Clinton for her adversarial posture towards Russia and mentioned a new peace deal with Putin. Hmm. And the committee also found significant evidence to suggest that WikiLeaks was knowingly collaborating with Russian government officials. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has long denied that the source of the hacked emails was Russia. Remember, he was like Guccifer. Trump was like 400-pound mm-hmm. guy in the basement. Mm-hmm. That's that whole thing. Uh, so there's, there's that proof. Yeah, projecting much. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And then the 2016 Trump Tower meeting. Uh, The committee found Jr. expected to receive derogatory information that would benefit the campaign from a person he knew was connected to the Russian government, but that no information was ultimately transmitted. Mm -hmm. Two participants at the meeting, Vetselnitskaya and Renat Akhmenshin, had far more extensive and concerning ties to the Russian government than previously known, including Russian intelligence. So when, you know, back in the day when we were like, they're totally connected to Russian intelligence and we were guessing... We were right. Sure. When they were talk- like back in the Russian adoption talk days and stuff. Yeah. yeah. They were like, oh, Veselnitskaya doesn't have connections to the to the the Kremlin. I'm like, well, yes, yes, she does. Right. Uh, Rob Goldstone. <laughs> yeah. Even said like she was the crown prosecutor or whatever the fuck, uh, which is not the correct term, but direct ties to the Kremlin. And, and now we've got the proof. Mm hmm. Yeah, anybody that's described and self-described, you know, well, I shouldn't say self-described, but definitely was being described consistently in the media as, like, a Kremlin attorney, obviously is going to have ties to intelligence because that's how Russia operates. Everybody, once you're you're up in that ring, you're connected to all of the agencies because it's a, like, pseudo-authoritarian setup there where everyone that has any sort of power is all connected and on the same page and moving, you know, the same way yep yeah and um it was obvious to us and now here we go and here it is check so check that out uh next up michael cohen bunch of shit we already knew the report found that uh you know that second trump tower moscow deal 
uh, that Cohen reached out to the Kremlin directly to solicit the Russian government's assistance about building a Trump Tower in Moscow. Cohen kept Trump updated on the progress while these negotiations were going on. Trump made positive public comments about Putin connected with his presidential campaign. Uh, and Cohen made uh, contact in January 2016 with Dmitry Peskov and reported to Trump that he had done so. Attempts to advance this, this deal stopped in the summer of 2016. That's the first Trump Tower. Um, so, and meanwhile, Trump was lying to the public about it. So we, we were like, yep, that happened, and the Senate agrees with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, then... Trump transition. Russia took advantage of members of the Trump transitions team's relative inexperience in government, opposition to Obama administration policies, and Trump's desire to deepen ties with Russia to pursue unofficial channels through which Russia could conduct diplomacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, The transition team repeatedly took action that had the potential and sometimes the effect of interfering with Obama administration diplomatic efforts, including former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn's conversation with the former Russian ambassador. Oh, okay. So the so Flynn lied. Okay, got it. And right. it was material. Here it is. Okay, cool. Right. And then they say that they were they were uh, you know exploiting their ignorance basically just as people that had like no experience in government. Even if they did have experience in government, those people wouldn't give a shit if they were going through back channels. That's not that that them having no experience only served to give them a like plausible excuse for not having you know in quotes known the law you know when it comes to dtj and shit like that it's like they don't fucking care either way it's just so yeah yeah and this and this blows Sidney powell and michael flynn's mandamus argument out of the water completely by by them saying this lie to the fbi wasn't material this proves that it was um and then together, the, all like all five volumes of the report represent three years of investigative activity, hundreds of witness interviews and engagements, millions of pages of document review, and open and closed hearings. The committee conducted follow-up interviews with Cohen, Kushner, Jr., Podesta, uh, State Department official Jonathan Weiner, that's one of the architects of the Iran nuclear deal, which were necessary after the committee developed additional information since the initial review that required clarification from these witnesses. So come back in. We need to talk to you. And the committee said it was limited in some aspects of its investigation by assertions of executive privilege, including members of the Trump transition team. Quote, the committee was surprised by these assertions because they were made inconsistently and because they have no basis in law. Um, now, Marco Rubio says, we can say without any hesitation, the committee found no evidence that Donald Trump or his campaign colluded with the Russian government. Um, what the? F- I don't know if you I'm read- so sick of having yeah. this same argument over and over and over and over again. It's so infuriating. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. And then uh, Mark Warner, the, uh, you know, the co-chair there, the, the Democratic chair, says at nearly a thousand pages, volume five stands as the most comprehensive examination of ties between Russia and the Trump campaign to date, a breathtaking level of contacts between Trump officials and Russian government operatives. That is a very real counterintelligence threat to our elections. This cannot happen again. Mm-hmm. So we have two different we have spins. And obviously, Barr uh, at the Justice Department investigated Burr, the former chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Republican chair, uh, who may have a different view on this. He didn't sign off on this report. He had to step down because he was being investigated. There were several other senators uh, who had also made similar odd stock deals right before uh, COVID hit. 
or as they knew COVID was going to hit. Remember with that secret briefing? But none of them, uh, none of those investigations continued. Just Burr, and Burr had to step down. And I, I, these are just beans, but hey, if my entire, you know, podcast and your entire, uh, everything we have ever talked about, Jordan, if all that was just beans, beans come true. And my beans are that um, what happened here is that they got Burr out of there. They put Rubio in, told Rubio to spin it and say, no collusion. Look, no collusion. And uh, and that's the reason they actually put this two-page addendum on at the end of the thousand-page report where they disputed the findings. Rubio disputed the findings. And so I think that's why this didn't come out uh, on time. It was supposed to come out before the Senate was you know, took their recess. So that's what I think happened. They shoved him in there, got Burr out, put in Rubio, made him write this two-page addendum. I don't know what they've got on him. Uh, and said, you know, add it, stick it on there, spin it, put out a video, and we'll try to hoodwink the public like we did with the Mueller report. You know the restaurant chain Rubio's? I'm not kidding. I used to frequent that place so much, and now I can't anymore. Mm. I literally can't, mm. even though it's entirely unrelated. <laughs> even just the thought... <laughs> Of supporting something <laughs> with the name Rubio, I cannot stomach it. Literally, <laughs> it's like poor Rubios. It is poor Rubios. <laughs> yeah, uh, lucky, <laughs> lucky for them, known as as uh, insane as I am. But uh, yeah, Marco Rubio is the fucking worst. He's always. I can't. I always think of Cameron Caskey too when I think of him in that town hall, and he just like that exchange that they had if i'm remembering correctly on on gun violence that cnn put on do you remember that yeah uh-huh he just did such a horrible job at like navigating and answering any of those questions in the wake of just like such a tragedy that guy just fucking sucks get him the fuck out yes agreed yes agreed great recap of all of that that was a lot thank you and there's and there's a lot more yeah. i mean there's a thousand pages of this but you know if everyone's like please explain it to us i'm like we did for the last two and a half years on that other podcast that we finished mm-hmm. um it's all in there in fact I, our podcast even goes in steps beyond in some cases where where this report might say oh and they had like individual four and i'm like individual four is clovis or <laughs> gerson or you know like i know who the unnamed or you know people are i can probably take good guesses at what's behind the redactions all that's in the miller she wrote podcast but uh it, yeah it is a day of um it is a day of vindication for those of us who have been listening and following along since the beginning uh especially when the entire republican party and all the trump supporters were trying to gaslight us saying that we were insane um we're not mm-hmm. we were right yeah yeah absolutely I have a question that I'm sure you've answered at some point over the last three years. Uh, But now that we are, you know, in 2020 and Russian interference is 100% continuing to happen, when we're talking about redactions and we know that things get redacted sometimes due to an ongoing investigation, is it possible in general? uh, This is just more a general question. If... Can it be considered an ongoing investigation if it literally doesn't stop because the crime doesn't stop? Or would or or would we have to assume that these cases would have to close and then be reopened again in the context of same shit different day? Are you asking is that why there's so many redactions in this report? Uh, maybe not. Is that why necessarily? But is that something that's even like uh, legally? Do you know if that's that's a reason for keeping an investigation uh, ongoing? Maybe like in general. I was just thinking that 
uh, as a as a legal question in general like when it comes to well this is um a, a senate counterintelligence investigation not a criminal investigation and so no you wouldn't have to not um end one and start another one to to keep it going i mean i i'm assuming the counterintelligence investigation into russian interference is always ongoing um but i mean there's several reasons that you would redact certain things right um, and for example, uh, like all these people who lied to Congress that right. we learn about in this report and that we knew about already, mm-hmm. those may have been made as criminal referrals yeah. to different U.S. attorney's offices. And then they have to redact that because that's harm to an ongoing investigation. Sure. But um, I mean, as far as you know, election interference, Crossfire Hurricane is probably 2016 election interference mm-hmm. and 2020 election interference probably has a different code name. Right. Got it. Yeah, I guess um, they the the Senate when when they redact things, there's so many so many different reasons that that they get to just like ominously have for redacting things, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what I'm guessing in 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 these particular cases are either sources and methods. Yeah. Um, for example, like how they collected the information on Kalimnik, they don't want to tell anybody that because they don't want Russia to know how we knew. Uh, and then there's probably, like I said, they probably made a lot of criminal referrals out of this investigation, which are probably sitting somewhere, uh, going nowhere, um, about people who lied to the committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we talked about when we got that information about Bannon and Junior and Clovis and everyone, uh, the letters from Senate making criminal referrals to the Department of Justice that they lied. Those came from this investigation. Right. Uh, and so... You know, those would be redacted somewhere. They're redacted in the Mueller report. They're redacted here. They would be redacted anywhere that that information came up because those aren't resolved cases. Basically, I'm wondering is, are we going to have to go through and wait for so much fucking longer for them to just like investigate this, the exact same behavior, but just in a different context? Or can they just keep the floodgates open and like just keep keep it uh, keep it moving? The investigations that are still going. The criminal ones or the counterintelligence ones? Both. I don't know. I don't know enough about the rules to know what difference either of yeah. those would make. Yeah. No, me neither. But I mean, counterintelligence stuff. N- no, you, there's never a crime, right? It's just mm-hmm. a determination if there's a threat to national security. Yeah. Uh, and so we've got that here. Yes, Manafort was a threat to national security. The the Democrats believe Trump was a threat to national security based on all these contacts. Um, but. As far as, I mean, criminal referrals and stuff like that yeah. go, uh, it, 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 it's going to be these specific crimes. Right. It's going to be what Roger Stone did in 2016. It's going to be what Donald Trump Jr. told Congress. And so if Donald Trump Jr. lies to them again, you you basically supersede the indictment, open a new investigation, mm-hmm. or the investigation is still open, but, you know, but shut uh, you know or you you know if you close it and then open another one because well we're not looking at 2016 we're looking at 2020 sure. now um that that's kind of how i, I assume that would totally probably go but that makes sense and that's exactly what i was inquiring about thank you yeah word well we gotta take a quick <laughs> yeah, break word <laughs> says all this smart shit yeah Yay. Word. <laughs> treason word woot woot um we're going to take a quick break and then uh, we're going to come back with some headlines from under the radar. So stick stick with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. With so many of us practicing social distancing and trying to eat healthy while being at home, I have found the perfect service. Sunbasket. If you want to eat tasty and nutritious meals while avoiding crowded grocery stores, Sunbasket delivers mouthwatering healthy meals straight to your door. Sunbasket has amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences. Uh, I go with the paleo, but they also have gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. And they make it really easy and very convenient. Everything is pre-portioned and ready to prep and cook. And you can enjoy a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in like 15 minutes. And that's no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. Each week they offer a wide range of recipes to choose from. Last night I had this delicious turkey scramble with this yummy sauce that they prepackage seasons. And then you put in and dice up the onions and put in the spinach until it wilts. And then you have this amazing scramble. It's so much good. So much goodness and also organic and and tasty and whatever dietary preference you want and you can order from many recipes across their menu skip a week whenever you need to their website's really easy to use you can double up on your favorites if you want and sunbasket facilities have the highest level of food and employee safety they reinforce strict adherence to operating procedures and they have increased sanitization frequency in their distribution centers to protect you and your family and their employees and right now sunbasket is offering $35 off your first box when you go to sunbasket.com slash daily beans and enter promo code daily beans at check out. That is sunbasket.com slash daily beans. And don't forget to enter promo code daily beans for $35 off your order. Again, sunbasket.com slash daily beans and enter promo code daily beans. All right, we are back for news under the radar. I have got a story to start off with and it's about DeJoy. Uh, what a treat DeJoy is. An almond de no joy that man is. He's the freaking worst. He, uh, okay, so he said on Tuesday, after facing just, like, tons and tons and tons of mounting pressure by literally everybody who ever uh, has heard his name or anything that he's ever done, uh, he's he's caved, kind of, saying that he's going to suspend the changes and in initiatives to the post office that were just, like, clearly a blatant, you know... Whether or not you want to say that you believe Trump was directing him to do this or not, it it was just absolutely going to affect the effectiveness of USPS and their ability to uh, conduct the mail-in process for this election. So he said he's going to, uh, he's just given his word at this point that they're going to roll back doing the things that they were doing. We were seeing things like post office uh, boxes being, you know, taken, uh, locked up, mail sorting machines gone, things being reduced, just all of these cuts and rollbacks that it was just it completely the wrong timing for those things to happen. He's been trying to hide behind this reason that it's just because the, it was necessary change for the USPS to continue because of their budget issues, but he's getting called on that relentlessly. He's set to testify before Senate committee on Friday. Uh, and the House Oversight Committee next week, and he is just going to get grilled. His ass is going to get so grilled, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) I know. I can't wait until Katie Porter, like, breaks out the whiteboard and pulls out her fucking markers and does her thing. I love Katie Porter so much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he said that he's doing he's doing the rollback to avoid, this is a quote, to avoid even the appearance of any impact on election mail, uh, end quote, which is a good call if he is saying that with any amount of earnestness uh, because it has a horrible appearance, as I've stated and as the whole country has been stating. He's also being sued by a fuck ton of states, 21 right now to be exact. Uh, there's so so many cases being, being brought against him. There's one filed on 
Tuesday in federal court in Washington that's arguing that the Postal Service broke the law by making operational changes without first getting approval from the Postal Regulatory Commission. They're also arguing that Mm. the changes are going to impede states' ability to run free and fair elections. Uh, and officials, this is all coming from officials from several state attorneys general, general's offices. They're reporting to the Washington Post. So Constitution gives states and Congress, not the executive branch, the power to regulate elections. So that's the lens that uh, some of these lawsuits are going to be happening through. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's also appearing with yeah he's appearing for the senate on friday they added that and then he'll be talking to the house on monday mm-hmm. and if i if i were them i wouldn't just because like you said he's come out and announced well, i won't make any changes i'll stop what i've done he's already it's kind of too late like he already fucked it up our mail's already slow and like i i don't trust him to do what he says he's going to do no so. no and i think that's what people are going to keep pushing for is for for some some sort of people are requesting from from the courts something that would mandate that he not be able to do that because right now it is just his word yeah and they're also i think i know the dems are working on some legislation to put a clean bill of funding for the usps through and they're putting rules attached to that money because like we talked about yesterday you don't want to give 25 billion dollars to a guy who's going to light it on fire and piss on the ashes right so (laughs) you know you put like regulations in like you have to spend it on this put the put the sorting machines back stop being a prick uh, you know, you have to guarantee us that uh, all the ballots will be counted and handled properly. It's shit like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, hopefully it'll pass. Hopefully mm-hmm. it'll pass. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that should have bipartisan support, <laughs> too. But of course it won't. <laughs> yeah, it oughta. Yep. Um, here's a couple of things I just wanted to play really quick from the convention last night. Uh, one of my favorite parts, Michelle Obama was incredible and bernie sanders gave a great speech full-throated backing of joe biden but there was this woman named Kristen urquiza and she's the one let's let's listen to a couple of her clips really quick i'm Kristen urquiza i'm one of the many who has lost a loved one to covid my dad mark anthony urquiza should be here today but he isn't he had faith and Donald Trump. He voted for him, listened to him, believed him and his mouthpieces when they said that coronavirus was under control and going to disappear, that it was okay to end social distancing rules before it was safe, and that if you had no underlying health conditions, you'd probably be fine. My dad was a healthy 65-year-old. His only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump and for that, he paid with his life. The coronavirus has made it clear that there are two Americas, the America that Donald Trump lives in and the America that my father died in. Enough is enough. Donald Trump may not have caused the coronavirus, but his dishonesty and his irresponsible actions made it so much worse. We need a leader who has a national, coordinated, data-driven response to stop this pandemic from claiming more lives and to safely reopen the country. We need a leader who will step in on day one and do his job, 
and wow, she just blew me away. Uh, and, you know, obviously all of our thoughts go to her. She lost her father and that's terrible. But the way that she just succinctly sort of just went after Trump for his complete mismanagement yeah. of this crisis is so great and so powerful to watch. Yeah, it was really hardcore. I was watching that like, damn, she is fucking going in on him right now. Rightfully so. I mean, her her dad's dead because he trusted him. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's so sad. There's There's so many stories like that, too. I've read stories of, there was this one guy who went to a COVID-19 party that somebody was having. And he got sick and then he died. And on his deathbed, he told one of the hospital workers just like, fuck, this thing is for real. It's like, yeah, this is so, it's so tragic that people, it's like, I don't understand how messaging has been allowed to come out that would lead people to believing, you know, this is, this is some game that, that people, well, I do know how, because the president of the United States is coming out and saying that, and having, yeah, yeah, having Mm -hmm. her come on there and have such a strong message um unapologetic you know just like giving zero fucks i think was a super smart move by the dnc and sometimes i was sitting there listening to her like i try to think of things how other people that may not have the same views as me would would receive something and i was trying to make the assessment of like you know does this come off as a bit maybe taking advantage of her situation like on the dnc's part or something or or like dramatic in any way to someone that might not like i said have the same kind of understanding and feelings as i do and i just kept answering no absolutely not because all of this everything that she's saying is 100 percent true and checking out it's not dramatic at all it's a horrible situation that so many americans are in and it's it's like it's not dramatic at all it's what's actually happening yeah yeah. And it was a very powerful, powerful uh, message. I also thought bringing in a bunch of uh, former Trump voters was very powerful. I, 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 I'm, I don't uh, subscribe to anyone who's mad that there's a bunch of former Republicans and current Republicans that are going to be speaking. Colin Powell is going to speak tonight. Megan McCain, not Megan McCain, uh, Cindy McCain is going to endorse Joe Biden. Uh, that's John McCain's, the late John McCain's wife. She's going to give a speech about how what great friends they were. And um, but seriously, the the end of the night speech, I do also want to say I love this format. This particular convention has had 28 million, I think, was how many tuned into it. And I think the previous record for people watching a convention at the for the Democrats was uh, 10.6 million. If I if I get those numbers uh, wrong, you can uh, send me a correction. But Michelle Obama fucking threw it down first. I was really touched by her clarification about the old Obama family motto, when they go low, we go high. Mm -hmm. Because we tend to, you know, when we say that Matthew fucking Whitaker is big dick toilet wine or, you know, that's not really going high. (laughs) No. But But she put this clarification out there and she reminded us that going high includes standing fierce against hate. And that sort of made me feel a lot better about uh, you know the way we handle things around here <laughs> at the daily beans and muller she wrote because that's kind of that's what we're doing so she it was like oh sweet i can still punch nazis that's still the high road 
Fuck yeah. Thank you, Michelle. But I also really liked um, Project Lincoln tweeted out, uh, we go low so you don't have to. And that I thought cracked me up. I thought that was really funny. But I I want to listen to this Michelle Obama tweet. She fucking here. Let's just not tweet, but this clip. Let's listen to Michelle Obama. So let me be as honest and clear as I possibly can. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. Now, I understand that my message won't be heard by some people. We live in a nation that is deeply divided, and I am a black woman speaking at the Democratic Convention. But enough of you know me by now. You know that I tell you exactly what I'm feeling. You know I hate politics. But you also know that I care about this nation. You know how much I care about all of our children. So if you take one thing from my words tonight, it is this. If you think things cannot possibly get worse, trust me, they can and they will if we don't make a change in this election. If we have any hope of ending this chaos, we have got to vote for Joe Biden like our lives depend on it. So, yeah, she just threw it is what it is right back into Trump's face. And she she had this look on her face when she did it and this this gleam in her eye when she said it. And it was you know, he is absolutely the wrong person for this. For us, it is what it is. And I, I was just like I stood up and went Rah! I yelled. It was so I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll keep watching the the DNC and, and, and reporting back and playing clips for you. But I really love this format. Um, I know it's we're doing it because of a, a, a massive global crisis, in part and major part caused by the president. We're trying to get out of office, but I really do like this format. I think it's wonderful. Um, and this is uh, news too. Remember, remember when we got Mike Bloomberg money offered to us when he was yeah. running for president and he wanted yeah. to run ads for his presidency, and we turned down like a boatload of cash, and yeah. we're like, nope, can't do it. Well, and then everyone's been wondering where his money is. Well, he has now said he plans to spend $60 million to, which is nothing to him, that's couch chains, to strengthen the Democratic House majority in November, roughly matching the money he invested in flipping control of the House in 2018. And this is according to a Bloomberg advisor familiar with the plans. Uh, this is digital television, digital and television ads to defend some of the 20 freshman Democrats he helped win in 2018, along with spending aimed at defeating additional Republican incumbents. And... The new money goes to several groups, um, including a revival of Bloomberg's old political vehicle, Independence USA, and donations to the House Majority PAC, which is a group associated with House Speaker Pelosi. And um, so that's he's he's now he's going to give money over to the House. I wish he would give more to the Senate. We really need to flip the Senate, but we do need to retain the House as well. So, yeah. Anyway, that's what's what's going on with uh, with Bloomberg these days. So, yeah. Good to see him resurfacing in that headline, not something like Bloomberg buys his way into the race after lobbying lawmakers to change the rules so he can do so, shitting on everyone's life. You know, that could have <laughs> we could have we could have seen something like that. Just kidding, probably not. But who knows? The bounds of money are unfortunately limitless in this country. Uh, but yes, 
ups to Bloomberg for using his money in a uh, objectively good way for sure. That is mm-hmm. that is rad. I wish more billionaires and millionaires would do that. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, my turn. Yeah, go for it. Perfect. I got uh, a couple of quick stories here. Uh, okay, so this is a shady story. Trump administration, they have been using major hotel chains to detain children and families uh, that are taken into custody at the border. And this is being done in part as a, you know, uh, so they have this, in March, they enacted this border policy where they were just going to stop processing uh, people that were crossing at the border, including asylum seekers, under the guise and reason that they didn't want to process them into a detention center because that would increase the likelihood that they would transmit COVID-19 and they would be put into contact with other migrants and workers at those facilities. And so, you know, the plan was they were just going to send them back to their home countries um, right away, basically. And they said that, you know, they they their idea was that that was going to deter people from trying to cross over because the punitive actions were, you know, pretty much, in a sense lifted relatively unless they came over and they found that they had a criminal history but what they actually wound up doing was because of those lack of of punitive measures relatively again the whole thing is just fucking horrible but it's actually just resulted in more people coming over right now that's what's being reported by new york times and so one of the things that they're doing they're detaining children and families that are taken into custody at the border at these private hotel chains and what it's doing is making it so it's impossible to make sure that those spaces are being regulated and it's creating what new york times called a shadow system of detention and swift expulsions without the safeguards that are intended to protect the most vulnerable migrants uh that's a direct quote so this is um being facilitated by some private parties and it's just there's more than a hundred thousand migrants including children and families that have been summarily expelled um from the country and it's it's something that's just really scary because you know the regulation in those facilities previously were already a massive problem uh, in terms of safety and whether or not people are being taken care of and afforded any sort of human rights whatsoever. So this is a system now that is allowing uh, people to really go into the dark and the accountability is not there and it's uh, just it's just frightening. Uh, granted, the conditions of hotels are, you know, maybe objectively a little bit better in some ways than the cement cold walls that, that they're detained in otherwise but with that also comes that lack of regulation lack of access to you know phone calls resources there's like hardly any hope at this point of tracking children it, that that element is even worse so this is something that you might hear people try to spin and say is like a, a better alternative but i i really think um that is not the case none of what none of how yeah. they're handling this is a better alternative no yeah no family separations policies is from top to bottom fucked up and like you said and and like we talked about before if any of these private contractors do anything untoward or illegal it's way harder to hold them to account um because they're not government yeah and my final quick headline uh u.s states have claimed that they're owed 2.2 trillion dollars to address the damage that has been caused by oxycontin maker purdue pharma lp's 
role in the U.S. opioid epidemic. Uh, they're accusing them of pushing prescription pain relievers onto doctors and patients alike and minimizing the risk that that presented for abuse and overdose. So this is uh, Purdue's, you know, they, they've claimed bankruptcy in the wake of all these lawsuits and it, it's, uh, they just are, it's just, they fucking suck. And I hope that they have to pay a lot because they've made Americans pay. So, yeah, so many pharmaceutical companies have already had to pay these settlements. And so we'll keep you posted on that one for sure. 2.2 trillion with a T. Um, that's quite a bit. Um, final uh, headline from under the radar. And this is my wheelhouse. So uh, Esper, my, uh, you know, the Secretary of Defense, he wants to cut $22 billion from military health care. Pentagon officials working on Defense Secretary Mark Esper's cost-cutting review have proposed slashing military health care by $2.2 billion, not $22 billion, excuse me, $2.2 billion. Uh, this is a reduction that comes um, on the heels of a lot of people trying to privatize the military health system. And some defense officials say it could effectively gut the Pentagon's health care system during a pandemic. The proposed cut to the military health system over the next five years is part of a sweeping effort initiated last year to eliminate inefficiencies within the Pentagon's coffers. But two senior defense officials say the effort has been rushed and driven by an arbitrary cost savings goal, uh, meaning that's not why they're doing it. And they argue the cuts to the system will imperil the health care of millions of military personnel and their families as we you know, grapple with COVID-19. Esper and his deputies have argued that America's private health system can pick up the slack. Imagine that. They want the private health system to pick up the slack. Now, roughly 9.5 million active duty personnel, military retirees and their dependents rely on the military health system, which is the military's sprawling government run health care framework that operates hundreds of facilities around the world. The military health system also provides care through TRICARE and TRICARE enables military personnel and their families to obtain civilian health care outside of military networks. It also allows active duty service members and their families to obtain care at Veterans Administration, Veterans Affairs Hospitals, the VA, uh, as part of the network provider, too. And it used to be the rule was you, you would send them to the VA first because it's cheaper and the care is better than going to a private doctor. This is what my job was at the VA. I was embedded with the TRICARE regional office in the West Region. There was only two of me in the country, East Region and West Region. I helped oversee the TRICARE contracts and helped do the network stuff for the VA. I, was the v I worked for the VA, but I was embedded with TRICARE and DOD. Uh, and that's because the VA is a network provider and should, should be where TRICARE beneficiaries go before they seek health care in the private sector. And the reason is, like I said, when veterans go out to the private sector or when Military families and TRICARE beneficiaries go out to the private sector. The care is not as good, and that is there are multiple, multiple studies and white papers that I helped put out that are on that. And it costs two, three, sometimes ten times as much, and it's rife with fraud um, from these private doctors, not from military members or veterans. They overcharge the government. Um, for example, there was one place charging $9,600 for breast pumps that cost them $32, and we were able to find that. Now, this is clear move. This is a clear move to privatize Tricare, and move. This is a move Republicans have been after for years. Same with the VA; they want to privatize the VA. That's why, you know, Donald uh, extended the Choice Program, which allows veterans to go outside into the private sector for care. Uh, he didn't. He didn't come up with that idea. It was an emergency um, measure put into place back in 2014 when the wait lists at the VA were so long that the, you know, the 
Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs and everybody was like, we need to let them go out to the private sector. We'll do this for a couple of years until we get caught up and invest another $10 billion in the VA to make sure that we don't have these problems again. Well, Trump extended it because he likes to privatize the VA. And the idea here was to keep active duty service military members going to the base, the military treatment facilities, to get care, but kick their families off and send them to private sector um, private doctors, again, at great taxpayer cost and a much less quality of health care, a move I opposed vehemently while I was at the VA. But these proposed health cuts in the second iteration of the defense-wide review would degrade military hospitals as well, to the point that they would no longer be able to sustain the current training pipeline for the military's medical force. And this potentially necessitates something akin to a draft of civilian medical workers into the military. Because the way that military doctors keep their chops up to go out to war and go out to the field is they do it at these military treatment facilities. And if they close that down, there's no more training, there's no more doctors, then they want to go out to the private sector and hire a bunch of private doctors. You see where I'm going? They're trying to privatize this, this, this health system. And I, I won't stand for it, uh, though I don't work there anymore. <clears throat> but we know why. Um, Anyway, we will be right back. I'm going to have a quick chat with Andrew Torres about Roger Stone, who has just decided he doesn't want to appeal his case anymore since his sentence has been commuted. And uh, we'll find out why. There is a definitive answer. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG. So many everyday tasks are more stressful and challenging these days, but seeing a doctor should not be. That is why I use Plush Care. Plush Care provides primary and urgent health care through virtual appointments. Scheduling appointment is, you know, so easy. Even if it's the same day, I can just pick a slot that works for me, click, book it online, done. I don't waste time on hold or, you know, talking on the phone or sitting in crowded waiting rooms, which is not probably the wisest thing to do right now with COVID. But with my Plush Care membership, I can see my doctor from the comfort of my own home in my onesies if I want to. And I can get, a, you know, diagnosed, treated and get a prescription sent to my local pharmacy. And I could do that all within minutes. And if I have any questions, I can send unlimited messages to my care team anytime. Plus, Plush Care accepts most major insurance carriers and is available in all 50 states. And with how difficult things are, if you're feeling anxious, depressed, or stressed about what's going on uh, in the world, Plush Care doctors are here to help. They can discuss treatment options and provide prescriptions as needed. I can tell you personally, my Plush Care experience has been super easy. Signing up was a breeze. Only took a minute. Uh, it's been so convenient, very user-friendly, and I was immediately comfortable with my doctor. All Plush Care doctors graduated from one of the top 50 med schools in the country, and they're highly rated by their patients. That gives me peace of mind um, that I'm getting high-quality health care. Uh, Plush Care makes it easy for me to get the excellent care I need when I need it, and they can do the same for you. So start your membership today. Go to plushcare.com slash dailybeans to start your free 30-day trial. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash dailybeans for a free 30-day trial. Again, plushcare.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody. Welcome back. So Roger Stone, not to be outdone by everything else that happened today, is back in the news and he has dropped his appeal. Uh, he was appealing his case when his sentence was commuted by Trump. And joining us today to help hash out why he would do that is real life lawyer, host of the Opening Arguments podcast, my friend Andrew Torres. Hello. Hey, G. How are you? Um, today is a day. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a weird I mean, feeling. Yeah, we, we have essentially, you know, an, an annotated version of your podcast being released by the Senate Intelligence Committee. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, and that, and by the way, uh, 
Richard Burr, the, the, the chair, the Republican chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, is the person I had flagged as, you know, sort of the lookout guard atop Yodel Mountain, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, boy, I was, that's, that's, a, that's a swing and a miss on that one, huh? Um, well, no, uh, you, you might've been right. Had he not been investigated and subsequently stepped down from his position. And now we've got Marco Rubio coming out and and doing the, the Bill Barr dance. Like he did, like Bill Barr did for the Mueller report. Marco Rubio is doing for the Senate intelligence counterintelligence report. So I, I, I want to emphasize the attack on Marco Rubio during the 2016 Republican presidential primaries was this is a lazy underachiever who's bad at his job and does not show up to vote in the Senate. And I want to point out um, that pattern continues, right? Like I do not know why Marco Rubio is a United States Senator. He doesn't appear to enjoy the job. He doesn't show up. His, his, uh, his non-show rate is 10 times the national average. I mean, he just, he just doesn't care. And I, I do not understand if you were a Florida voter, how you can vote for him. But yeah, I don't get it either. Um, but <laughs> that's a side rant. <laughs> side note, side note. Yes, Trump is a counterintelligence problem. Uh, Manafort was a counterintelligence threat. Side note to that, Roger Stone, who uh, came up several times today in this report, <laughs> Um, he's dropped his appeal. He's unexpectedly dropped the appeal of his seven federal felony convictions. This is less than an hour before the midnight deadline that they were going to be, you know, they had to file their first brief laying out their grounds for challenging Stone's convictions and seeking a new trial. So he, but right before the deadline, he had to turn in his reasons. He turned in that he, uh, is dropping his appeal. Uh, did he, did he not want to spend the money or did he think that maybe Trump's pardon promise that everyone talked about last night was for him I, so here's the okay answer to that i don't know how to put myself inside the head of anyone in trump world right that's that's not a place i enjoy living um i i i can't figure it out <laughs> um this was a foregone conclusion that that today was going to happen and and here's why um what Donald Trump did was commute the sentence of Roger Stone. Right? We, we, we talked about this. That leaves the conviction intact. Uh, but it just says you've served enough time. Right. And a commutation can range from what happened here, which was not only wiping away the entire sentence, you know, before Roger Stone had had set foot in prison. Um, But also, you know, expunging the $20,000 fine imposed on him, expunging the $700 special assessment, right? So, you know, if you have, you know, your three listeners, my three listeners who, you know, have friends who are still in Trump world, like, you know, uh, all right, you want to make the argument of, well, Roger Stone's 200 years old and, you know, he learned his lesson and blah, blah. Like, did you really have to also wipe out the the $20,700 in fines that he could have easily paid. Um, that, that, that just seems insulting. Um, but, but look, like a commutation can be, can range from partial, right. It could have condition. This didn't, <laughs> this was in its entirety. But like, for example, one of the things that, that Barack Obama did that, um, 
no president has done before or since was commute over a thousand sentences of nonviolent drug offenders rotting away in federal prison, right? And typically mm-hmm. what happened there was that the sentences were commuted down from mandatory minimums of years and years to a couple of months with supervised probation, right? Like it's a mm-hmm. really sort of sensible thing to do. Um, so uh, all of that happened. Um, and, uh, and, and Stone inexplicably <laughs> claimed that he was still going to appeal because, you know, he was innocent. Um, here's the reason that's unbelievably fucking stupid, right? Because if he won on appeal, right, the, the remedy you get when you win at, at, at the appellate court level is your prior trial is thrown out and they order a new one. So, uh, th- th- and the commutation doesn't affect that at all, right? Like that's not a prospective get out of jail free card, right? That says on s- sentence A, right? You've now served the entirety of all the government thinks you have to serve on sentence A. If the conviction that resulted in sentence A is thrown out, you get a whole new trial. And at the end of that whole new trial, if you're found guilty again, which duh, of course you would be, then you'd get a whole new sentence. And guess when that trial is likely to have happened? Hint, hmm. it's at a time in which Donald Trump is unlikely to be the president of the United States, assuming all you people do what you're supposed to do this this November. So, um, yeah, so that never made any sense. It was all just right-wing talking points of, you know, I'm so innocent, I'm going... and no one, <laughs> no one who's not lying would have said, right? Like if you were honest, what you would have said was, you know, we appreciate the commutation. We think the sentence was wrongfully imposed, but Roger Stone is happy to have this, you know, chapter in his life put behind him. And now he can get back to, you know, being evil full time or I, I don't know, like whatever his, his press secretary, you know, his, his PR flack says. Um, but, but this was always coming. They waited to the very last possible moment. They tried to bury it. Um, that was not going to happen, but, but there, there was just, there was no upside. <laughs> you, the, the winning move was congratulations. You, you get a brand new sentence. Yeah. All right. So he, <laughs> dropped his appeal because he doesn't fucking want a new trial right because he yeah okay now this now this is starting to make sense uh why didn't he just drop it before uh when he got his commutation because maybe he was trying to like puff his chest out and say i'm going forward because i'm innocent yeah that that's the only reason to do that is because you spend so much of your life in crazy conspiracy theory land and and by the way like you know, different different people um, in Trump's orbit, right? I, I am convinced, sort of trying to piece this together. Like some of them are, in fact, you know, true believers in conspiracy theories so dumb. Like, oh, there's a child sex ring in the basement of a pizza parlor that doesn't have a basement, right? Like, it. it some people truly believe that. I do not think Roger Stone is one of those people. I I know people in Roger Stone's orbit. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and if any of you have any doubts, I, I, I want, I want you to watch the Larry Clayman taking a deposition of Roger Stone, which is, um, in, in connection with various civil lawsuits that Clayman has filed against Stone, uh, that, that are, are just hysterical. Um, it, it, there is, it is the best, con- right? Hollywood is not releasing 
new movies. It is the best comedy on television that you will find. Just uh, go to YouTube and and uh, and type in Roger Stone, Larry Clayman deposition, and uh, and thank me later. But but like they get into this extended colloquy where Larry Clayman is like, well, conspiracy theories happen sometimes, right? And Roger Stone is stuck, and there's this moment where he like looks up and he's like, well, yeah, but not this insane one, right? Like, and <laughs> and you can just kind of like see the the gears grinding right there where he's like, man, where ixnay on the telling people a like you're we're all supposed to be on the same side here but you know they're not and uh it, it's it's glorious and delightful um i'm sorry you're i'm sorry you know, this is a wendy's i think i got a little uh, d- d- uh distracted there no 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 it's uh I, I we played clips from that and then also the one where he got really really mad you know, do you remember the deposition where he just kind of went off the deep end um quite a character it is it is one of the all time greats. It, it features a clip that uh, that made its way into the opening segment of my show, where the the poor lawyer defending Roger Stone looks at Larry Clayman and says, "Stop! Ask a question a lawyer would ask." <laughs> and, and I'm keeping that one in my back pocket for the next time I have a particularly contentious deposition because uh, that is I, I'm. I'm sad that someone has gotten to use that line and it wasn't me. Ah, well, maybe one day. <laughs> uh, Andrew Torres, thank you for uh, for clarifying that. Makes so much more sense. Uh, there's no way Roger Stone wants another trial. He'll no. get another conviction and he'll go to jail for probably longer. So, Because yep. uh, we won't have Bill Barr in, uh, hopefully, uh, like you said, if we vote numbers too big to, to manipulate, if we all show up and do what we're supposed to do on November 3rd. So thanks. Everybody check out the Opening Arguments podcast. I appreciate you coming on today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody, stick around. After this break, we have the good news block. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. The following segment of the Daily Beans podcast is brought to you by CarShield. As you know, computer systems are essential in today's cars, from electronically controlled transmissions and touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors. But you can't fix any of this yourself when something breaks. It's not like my Ford F-250 where I can like, climb in the hood with a wrench and a screwdriver. It can cost a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. I hate dealing with tech-related car stuff. I tried to set the time on my car's clock, and now it just flashes 12, like my parents' VCR. But neither here nor there. Computer car repairs can cost a fortune, and they're a pain. But not anymore. That's why I have CarShield. What I love most about their service is they have monthly plans that can be customized to fit your needs. You know I'm about customization. And the people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is a must right now. And they have affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for covered repairs on computers, GPS systems, electronics, and more. There are no long-term contracts or commitments, and CarShield gives you options that others don't. You get to choose your mechanic or dealership, and they do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is in the shop. CarShield has helped over a million customers, so drive with confidence knowing you got coverage from America's number one auto protection company. So for as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands in covered repairs. Call 800-CAR-6000, mention code DAILYBEANS, or visit carshield.com and use code DAILYBEANS to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code DAILYBEANS. A deductible may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for the best part of the day, the good news block. And Jordan, hey, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. 
Just watching Coco try to chase a fly around my house. It's very entertaining. Ah! <laughs> Sky raisins. Yes. <laughs> yes. <And> precisely. <laughs> um, all right. Let's uh, kick it off. We got a lot of good news stories submitted by our listeners. Thank you very much. If you want to submit them, head to dailybeanspod.com and click contact. And there's all sorts of things you can submit there. You can submit your good news stories. You can submit your quarantine confessions and corrections. And I do have a correction from yesterday, by the way. I said one of the four RNC chair people, like vice chairs and shit, were like, win... I said Win, DeJoy, uh, and I said Nader, but it wasn't Nader. It was Cohen and Broidy. So my bad. It was, it was Cohen. Anyway. I forgive you. Got a real friendly email about that today. Um, <laughs> yeah, but whatever. Fuck that guy. Anyway, I did it. There's your correction. Uh, next, next. We're going to get some good news stories. This is from Charles. Pronouns who whom. Good news from one of your first live stream peeps and a patron. I took a dream. Uh, I took on a dream, realized an adventure, and hiked the Pinoti Trail. This is a 350-mile trail. Wow. From Alabama to Jesus. northeast Georgia through the, the Talladega National Forest, mostly. Each day I started my morning in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere. Breaking camp, I would start my hike um, listening to the beans. You Aww. ladies were an awesome part of my morning routine and kept me in touch with what I refer to as the real world. Occasionally, I couldn't download you, but if I got to a mountaintop, I usually had enough signal, and that was the first thing I thought about. Oh I hiked 280 God. miles to Dalton, Georgia, with only 60 miles left. Uh, the other more professional hikers were being overcome by heat and helicoptered off the trail. Then oh. I got sick with what I did not know. Discretion being the better part of valor, uh, I quit the trail and rented a car back to New Orleans. What plagued me? My latest, uh, my last, what plagued me lasted three days, and at the time, I tested for COVID and was found negative. Thankfully, it was just a summer cold, I guess. And there Ooh, he is. Wow. That's incredible, Charles. Fantastic job. Jesus. That's crazy. I'm glad we could keep you company. Yeah. Yeah, that is a very sweet thought. I love <laughs> when people tell us stuff like that. I know. Where they're at and when they listen to us, and it's really cool. But yeah, that's a, first off, rad picture love the mustache <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah that's that's big ups waking up in a middle of a fucking forest that's hardcore every day that's crazy i know yeah that's so I, ugh, I love it wow i'm glad you didn't have covid and good call good call on knowing uh hey i don't have to do this so i'm just gonna make the right decision and chill i've done enough love that yeah yes one of the core things that, that I learned in yoga was, hey, if you're in an uncomfortable position, you can decide to get out of it. Yeah. And that's totally fine. And that works in life and in yoga positions. Absolutely. So, good. I love that. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, Charles. Next up from Seneca, pronouns he, him. My friend Sweet Cat has done nothing but love on her brother since he was adopted yesterday, and it's just the sweetest thing ever. I'm usually a dog person, but this is adorable. In a world of anxiety, we can find genuine friendships and love. And as the Beatles said, that's all you need. Oh, God. There's cats. There's cats. There's kitties. There's a tabby. There's a gray kitty uh, who's given kisses to a tabby on the face. Oh, So cute. Look at the peats. Aww. Next up from uh, from Veronica, pronoun she, her. Hello, bean queens. Trigger warning, eating disorder. Thank you for the for the content warning. This is my first time submitting good news that isn't political. It's going to start off shitty, but I promise it gets good. If we have it a dime for every time we heard that. Um, as a very young girl in elementary school, I was a dancer. And I, I did it all the way through my senior year of high school. I enjoyed dancing a lot, but it took a really bad turn when I hit middle school. At such a young age, I was being 
put in the back of dance routines or not even being allowed on stage because of my body type. In the dance world, long and lean is the ideal type, and I was the opposite. Being told I was too fat at such a young age, I ended up developing bulimia, and it has hindered me into my adult years. This is something that is really common in dance settings, unfortunately. But now for the good shit. I'm 23 and I started doing pole fitness after moving to Massachusetts a year ago, and it has taken my recovery to new heights. For the first time in my life, I look in a mirror at a dance studio and I love my body. It feels good to be in a body-positive and inclusive setting where I can not only dance but recover and get strong. I never thought I'd get here, and it feels so damn good that I just had to tell you guys about it. Listening to you lovely ladies over the last few years has not only kept me informed, but you've all inspired me in different ways in growing into the strong-ass woman that I am. I look up to you so much. Thank you for all you do. Love you long time. Yay, Veronica. Thank you so much. If this is a Veronica, I think it is. I love you, dude. I think I saw you post a picture on Instagram that's related to this, and it's, like, fucking rad. Oh, my God. Dude, dance is... You know, and you you were a gymnast. I tried to be a gymnast, and they were like, when I ended up being five foot six, and I, I started to have boobies when I was like nine, they're like, you gotta go. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, truly, I was fortunate enough to be at a club that didn't, um, like, impart, you know, that stuff on us. I mean, indirectly, they kind of wound up doing it, which was, I think, just generally a part of toxic diet culture and and you know but it wasn't it wasn't malignant like other places can be and it was nothing compared to what you're talking about veronica that's fucking horrible that's yeah. like i'm so sorry that is so hard to recover something from something that was embedded in you at such a young age and you're beautiful you're so beautiful and i love you thank you Samesies, I love you. Yes. Uh, Next up from Anonymous, pronoun she, her. Our family finally got some good news in this shit show of a year. My baby sister learned she was expecting her first child shortly before everything shut down. She also turned 30, and we managed a socially distant celebration for that, but not being able to see us regularly and hug us has been tough on her. She called on Friday from the parking lot of her doctor. She'd just been told to go to the hospital to be induced three weeks early due to some potential complications. She sounded so scared and lost, and as the family member closest to her geographically, not being able to hop in the car and go be with her really sucked. But around 7pm Friday night, my new nephew made his appearance. Since he was a little early, he was small, just under five and a half pounds, which made delivery easier on my sister. He's adorable and perfect, and we've all been fawning over him via FaceTime since his birth. I'm also pleased that he decided to show up at a reasonable hour since my sixth grader announced he wasn't going to sleep again until his cousin arrived, so I got to avoid that (laughs) showdown. Uh, I'm hoping I'll be allowed to hug him before he's walking and talking, but for now, I'm going to take this as a win. Oh, congratulations to your family. Oh my gosh, yay. Welcome to being an aunt, unless you already were, but yay, a new aunt. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, another another opportunity to be an aunt mm-hmm. uh, i like personally your sixth grader who refused to sleep again until the cousin was born yeah. that's that's hardcore shit yeah. that's sweet it's nice it is adorable it's nice solidarity it is um all right let's see from adam uh i believe this is nope we've got more uh from adam pronouns he him uh i fucking love you all thank you great intro it's me, Coffee Crush Adam from Seattle. Yes. Uh, I've been call <laughs> I've been calling <laughs> This is 
I love that story. Uh, I've been calling my reps local offices and leaving long ranting, visceral and swear filled voicemails demanding they call Nancy and the Senate and get to work to save our fucking postal service so we can save our goddamn democracy. I ranted for about three minutes to each of them. I'm doing it again tomorrow. and I'm going to keep fucking calling. I'm mad as hell, but I feel righteous and informed. Thanks in no small part to your podcast. Pretty sure my phone calls have helped. Uh, my family has a gift for creative for creative expletive run on sentences. And I thought I would share one with you uh, to leave in your Senator's voicemail. Hello, my name is blank and I'm a constituent from blank and I'm calling to give you advice and make a promise. The advice is you get to work and save our democracy. And the promise is that every fucking morning I'm going to stub my toast, spill my coffee and burn my toast. And when I'm good and mad, I'm going to call you up and let you know just how fucking mad I am about every goddamn thing that shit-stuffed turkey carcass you failed to impeach, his rotten meat popsicle of a VP, and that half-plucked and half-boiled bullfrog McConnell have done this week, and I'm going to call again after lunch. Get to fucking work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so beautiful. How can your barista not give you his phone number? I don't understand. Oh, my God. What's that turkey shit-stuffed turkey carcass? (laughs) <laughs> oh my god and his rotten meat popsicle of a vp yes jesus you really did not disappoint with that you hyped yourself up and you fucking delivered that is amazing <laughs> that is so funny your family definitely mm. has a gift for creative expletive run on sentences oh god i love that very satisfying you also just rhythmically yeah. really did a good job with that too you know how the words all fit together is great truly musical yeah it <laughs> it does have a good consonance and rhythm it's yeah. nice it's shakes it's shakespearean almost you could almost like i am in pe- iambic pentameter that shit out and it would like it would work uh-huh. i feel it yeah me too fantastic this next one's for you yay yeah jordan. that worked out um from anonymous <laughs> pronounced she her good news for jordan and anyone else with stinky butts thank you there's a deodorant made for private parts it's called loom i discovered this last year when i started having hot flashes it is non-toxic and was made by a woman no i do not work for loom but this product solved my issues with a stinky bottom <laughs> keep it up with the good news and the laughs and then anonymous attached uh she attached a picture of it nice packaging Big fan. Interesting. Mm. So do you like spread your cheeks and like wipe it up your crack? Is that how that works? Mm. And Andrea, I totally... I I think we can save that for uh, an after show conversation. (laughs) And maybe they have a video, but it's Loom, L-U-M-E, hashtag love my loom. Uh, It's aluminum free, baking soda free. Oh, cool. Doctor developed, hypoallergenic, made by women for underarms and private parts. Cool. I love the brand I've developed Thank for myself you. on here. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's very specifically disgusting. Butts. <laughs> Whether it's bidets or sweat or stinkiness, if you have butt problems, Jordan is your woman. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I sincerely appreciate that and uh, will probably try it out, actually. Although I must say, yeah. my butt is more sweaty than it is stinky, if I may just correct my ass record. <laughs> Give it time. No, I don't know. I, I, well. well done. Well done. Um, finally up from Gina, pronoun she, her. In the early stages of the pandemic, the company I work for reacted quickly and sent us home to work remotely. The good news is I've been able to get about an hour and a half more sleep every night, and I have a large amount of gas money and 
com- and commute time, save a large amount of gas money and commute time. I've completely redecorated the backyard, cleaned out the junk room, and made it um, my office slash husband's music and workout room, and I've started cooking a couple times a week, which is my husband my husband is loving. We got married last September and have started our life together quarantined, which actually doesn't feel much different than everyday life. We're pretty much homebodies anyway. The great news is that my employer has extended work from home at least until 2021 and has approved my request to work from a rental home on Catalina Island for the month of December. Catalina is my happy place and spending such a large chunk of time there will do wonders for my mental health. Also, so glad that Kamala was chosen to be Biden's running mate. I've followed her closely since she spoke at my college graduation in 2007. Awesome. Thank you, ladies, for making us laugh and helping us with our sanity all while learning. Congratulations, Gina. Catalina Gina. Can yeah. I call you that? Yeah, that's going to be freaking lovely. Congrats indeed. Mm-hmm. And congrats on being newlyweds and last September. And uh, yeah, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, everyone. Yeah, we need this. Please keep sending them in. Keep in sending in your stories. Keep in, keep in sending in your stories in the beery where they be the beers. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um. Uh. Anyway, I really appreciate this stuff, and I, 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 I love reading these. It really makes me happy at the at the end of the show. After all of the, you know, the fire hose shit show that that we have to deal with every day. Although today was a little more interesting. Things seem to. I know I've probably said this a million times, but things seem to be unraveling for um, this administration. And we'll see if if they can hang on and cheat enough to hold power, but hopefully not. And I know that everyone who's listening is doing everything they can to make sure that that doesn't happen. So thank you so much. Jordan, do you have any finals? I do not. All right. Well, thank you. And I will see you tomorrow. We'll see everybody else tomorrow. Until then, watch the DNC. And take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn, and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.